Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Thursday, everybody. I hope all of you guys have had a great week so far. It feels good to be back from vacation. I got out of town for a couple weeks, went to San Francisco for about five days, and then to Japan for the very first time in my life for a little over a week. And the Portland Trailblazers held up their end of the bargain and did not trade Damian Lillard, which allowed me to like really disconnect from work for a little bit, which is the first time I've done that since I started at The Volume a year and a half ago, and it just, it felt really nice, to be honest. That said, I'm excited to get back to talking basketball. We have a jam-packed show today. We have Jalen Brown's contract extension, a lot of pushback on that. I think he absolutely deserves it, and that the Celtics made the right decision in giving him that contract. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Austin Rivers had some interesting and very critical comments about Damian Lillard's trade request and about all the stars requesting trades with multiple years left on their deal. I have some thoughts there. And then our guy Carson from Nerd Sesh had a just an absolute flamethrower take on Carmelo Anthony, calling him the most overrated player in the history of the NBA. So I have a little bit of pushback I'm going to offer there as well. Then I'll share some notes on my vacation at the end of the day. I am a little jet-lagged today. I've had very little sleep over the last couple of days, so bear with me, but we're going to make it work. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you guys missed one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops Tonight, and last but not least, you guys have heard me talk about Game Time, the fastest-growing ticketing app in the United States. I know sports have slowed down a little bit, although you can still get out to a baseball game. I saw a Japanese baseball game when I was in Japan. That was unbelievable. But if you're trying to go see a Major League Baseball game, you can still get a great deal there on Game Time. But this is concert season. Everybody is out touring around. I saw two shows while I was in San Francisco. I saw Charles Wesley Godwin um at a a cool theater in downtown San Francisco. And then I saw the final Denning Company show from this tour at Oracle Park. And everybody else is touring around the country right now. There's a lot of really talented artists going, a lot of good comedians as well. You guys can find deals for those 
on game time. So no matter where you live, get out and have some fun this week. Download the game time app, enter your email and redeem code hoops for $20 off your first purchase terms apply. It's a super easy user experience. You're going to find a great deal. You're going to know exactly what you're getting yourself into. I highly recommend it again, enter your email and the code hoops. That's H O O P S for $20 off download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. One last note before we get started, uh, I wanted to quickly tell you guys our plan for the next nine weeks because nine weeks from Monday is the start of NBA training camp. And so then we're going to be talking actual basketball games and how the lineups look and how new players on new rosters look. And it's going to be all actual basketball that we're breaking down. So we have nine weeks to fill until then. And we're going to be doing three different three-week series during that stretch. First, starting on Monday, we're going to do our annual top 25 players in the league list. A lot of people really enjoyed that last year. It's one of my my favorite ones to do. We're even spacing it out further and doing a ton of deep dives into the top 25 players in the league. That's the next three weeks. After that, top 25 players in the last 25 years. So similar format, just looking at the accomplishments in the grand scheme of things and pl- for players in their entire careers, how they stack up against each other with more of a look at modern NBA history. And then last, for the final three weeks heading into training camp, we're going to be doing our annual top 15 power rankings. So again, it doubles as power rankings and as season previews. We're going to go from 15 to 1, and then we're going to take a deep dive into every team, who they added this offseason, who they lost, what they're going to look like offensively, what they're going to look like defensively, projections for the regular season, and projections for the playoffs. So those are the three series we're doing. And then after that, it's all real basketball as we head into one more gigantic marathon NBA season. All right, so let's talk some Jalen Brown. So he signs five-year, $304 million contract. This is the richest contract in NBA history, which inevitably led to a lot of pushback from people who thought he either didn't deserve it, that it was a poor management decision from the Celtics, or that just, you know, freaking out about the large numbers, right? So I want to look at that specific question. Did he deserve it? And did the Celtics make the right decision by signing him to that deal? And to me, the answer is obviously yes to both questions. This is a textbook case of recency bias. Jalen Brown had an awful series against the Miami Heat. I'm not saying anything dramatic there. I bet you Jalen Brown will be the first person to tell you that he did not play well in that series. He averaged 19 points per game, shot 42% from the field, 16% from three, had more turnovers than assists, really struggled handling the basketball, and kind of looked like he lost his mojo, lost some confidence in the process. But again, this is something that people forget. Like, whenever we see a situation like this, we pretend like this is the only player this has ever happened to. The vast majority of NBA stars are prone to the occasional bad playoff series. With lower-level stars, it happens all the time. Guys in that, like, 15 to 40 range in the league, they constantly have bad playoff series. It's like every other series. This is not the first guy this happens to. Even when we look at the very best guys, the top-tier stars in the league, they are prone to bad series. Two years ago, Kevin Durant, one of the top 15 players of all time, shot 39% and had 21 turnovers in a four-game sweep. Do you think everybody would have freaked out if he signed a max contract after that series? Joel Embiid has had back-to-back awful playoff runs. Went from averaging 30 and 33 points per game in the regular season to 23 points per game in the playoffs with a dramatic drop in efficiency and overall impact on the game. Bad playoff series happens. The the playoffs are extremely difficult. And we're talking about a Eastern Conference final series 
against the best coach in the NBA and an excellent defensive roster that played him into his weaknesses, and he struggled. But Jalen was awesome for a really long time before that, and that's the reality of the Jalen Brown experience. Two weeks does not define a basketball player. I said the same thing after Kevin Durant in the suite two years ago. In the first two rounds this year against Atlanta and Philly, Jalen Brown, 25 points per game, 54% from the field, and 47% from three. In the playoffs for two rounds, those are outstanding numbers. This year in the regular season, a career-high 27 points per game, 58% true shooting. And yeah, he did most of his damage in transition and in spot-up situations, but he also was a slightly above-average shot creator. 53rd percentile in pick-and-roll, including passes. 51st percentile in ISO, including passes, all on decent value. So he was really good this entire year up until he was bad for two weeks. That should not color what you do with him for the next five years when he's 26 years old. And last year in the playoffs, he was awesome throughout. 23-7-4, 58% true shooting for the entire playoff run. Obviously, he's fallen off defensively since then, but he had a really good defensive season last year. And he was the second best player on a team that was two wins away from the Larry O'Brien trophy. He is a flawed player. He can be a little predictable sometimes. He doesn't handle the ball well enough. Struggles to read defense. Is not a great playmaker. And obviously, he regressed defensively this year. But he's still easily one of the 20 best basketball players in the world. And I wanted to give you guys a couple of stats to demonstrate that. This year, Jalen Brown was one of only nine players in the playoffs to average at least 20 points on at least 45% from the field and at least 35% from three. That's a really low baseline. 20 points, 45 from the field, 35 from three. Nine guys did that this year in the playoffs. Nine. This regular season, he was one of only 12 players in the entire league to average at least 25 points, three rebounds, and 3.5 assists. That's not a low. That, that's not some ridiculous standard. 25 points, five rebounds, three and a half assists. 12 dudes did that. This is not common. It's not like Jalen Brown just signed this maximum contract that's absurdly large and there's like 30 dudes in the league better than it. I had him 12 last year. He's going to drop a little bit from there, but he's still assuredly a top 20 player in the NBA. And again, like you guys got to remember, in order to win basketball games... You need good basketball players. You need great basketball players. Great basketball players cost money. Like, it's it, it's inflation, sure. The league is, the contracts are inflating as a result of all the factors with the salary cap and the way that the Supermax contract works. But, that's just what it costs. Jay, let's just say for the sake of argument, Jalen Brown's the 16th best player in the league. The 19th best player in the league is going to cost the same amount of money. I mean, he made second team All-NBA this year. This is just the running rate. This is this is market value. So in summation, does he need to polish, polish up some things offensively? Yeah. Does he need to recommit to the defensive end of the floor? Yeah, so does the rest of his team. But he's clearly one of the 20 best players in the world. And he's just entering his prime. He's 26 years old. And he absolutely can be the second best player on a championship team. Had Jason Tatum played better in the NBA Finals last year, they would have won the trophy. So again, when you pass on him, you pass on a championship ceiling. You need him. He's a fundamental piece there. So the Celtics had to do it, and that's what Jalen Brown was worth. 
He absolutely deserves it. It was the smart move. Um, and then again, r- really quickly at the end here, as for the contract number, don't forget about that new TV deal. $69 million in the fifth year of Jalen Brown's deal. That's a really big number. I get why that's scary. But the salary cap is going to be like $200 million and change at that point. He's just going to be another max player making a third of the cap. Pretty standard stuff there. I, again, like I think, I think we we see the big numbers and we freak out. But if you really take a closer look at it, it makes a ton of sense for both sides. You are in this race. Get in the fight. Yes, sir. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Well, shut up! I'm not missing my race. Oh, I'm gonna puke. Don't look at my dad's car. Listen, son. You think you're gonna play a stupid video game about cars and you're gonna become a race car driver? All I ever wanted to do is be a racer. I'm doing it. The ten of you are the best Gran Turismo players in the world. Now is your chance to race real cars. This is insane. It's not gonna work. The guys who race are elite athletes. Your kids are scrawny little gamer kids. That's where you come in. Hmm. So you think you can do the impossible? I'm here to prove that you can't. You get tired, you get sloppy, you get sloppy, you get hurt, and you lose races! <laughs> you puked on my lawn. I know what I'm doing. I'm not afraid. I've raced this track a thousand times in the game. Let me jump it my way. That was actually pretty great. We have a newcomer this year. His presence is shaking the foundation of the sport. This is the major leagues. The other drivers, your pit crew, are going to hate you. Much easier with a joystick, isn't it? <laughs> I can't see anything! I'm not sure if I can do this. Most people can't. I got a feeling you're not most people. If I lose... I lose more than just the race. So I'm not gonna quit. You've gotta prove to everyone that you belong. You've raced it, what, like a thousand times? Now you just gotta do it in real life. Gran Turismo, based on a true story. But I won't stop now. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts 
of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. It's something that I've always been a big believer in. When Usually when you try to take on a project that you don't know how to do, it ends up just being a bigger headache as you try to learn and then you end up making mistakes and it ends up just not being worth it. Not only can a professional get the job done more efficiently, but you're also supporting local businesses in your area. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience, combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. Angie has cost guides to tell you what others have paid for similar projects both nationally and in your area. The app is free and easy to use. We all know the difficulties that can come with home projects. Angie makes tackling your project as simple as possible from start to finish. Turn to Angie with confidence, even for major renovations or emergency repairs. Are you renting? Even renters can come to Angie for moving, installations, and cleaning. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. That Gran Turismo trailer was actually really cool. I had seen some promos for it, but I hadn't seen the trailer yet. And that was the first time I found out that it was actually based on a true story. And it kind of makes sense to me because... I played video games growing up like everyone else did, and I played Gran Turismo, but I also played the other games. I played like Need for Speed and and the arcade-style racing games, and you would just like hold down the accelerator the entire time and then just make the turns, and it was completely unrealistic. And then you'd play Gran Turismo, and you'd really have to watch how you break into turns, like your position in the lane as you try to widen out the turn and feathering the accelerator in certain situations. It actually makes sense to me that if... As a video gamer, you had nailed down that concept that some of it, if not most of it, would translate to the operation of the actual vehicle, at least with the level of effort that Gran Turismo always made trying to make it super realistic. So I'm super excited to see that movie. The new movie Gran Turismo is based on the true story of one teenager's journey from video game player to real life racer. The movie follows Jan Mardenborough, a construction worker from Wales, who threw his skill at the Gran Turismo video game, broke into the elite world of professional motorsports. Jan receives the chance of a lifetime when Nissan and Sony host a competition to identify the best Gran Turismo players and give them a shot at racing in real life. Doubted by his family, his fellow race car drivers, and even his coach, Jan is an unlikely outsider trying to change the game and break into an exclusive and incredibly dangerous sport. If he can find a way to win, he'll change the game forever. This state-of-the-art movie recreates some of the most famous and dynamic racing competitions in the world in breathtaking sequences that need to be seen on the big screen. Directed by Neil Blumkamp, the visceral action, sounds, and thrills of the racetrack were brought to life using actual Nissan GTs, drones, and practical effects. Uh, Those little camera angles directly behind the car were really cool. All shot through the most sophisticated technology and advanced cameras. Gran Turismo is exclusively in movie theaters on August 11th. Get your tickets today. Rated PG-13. All right, Austin Rivers and his comments about Dame's trade request. I was reading this one while I was in Japan. I thought it was super interesting. So Rivers said, quote, if you were a free agent, 
then you could choose where you want to go. That's the business. But when you're not, and you sign a deal, man, that's part of the business, bro. If you get traded somewhere, you've got to go play, man. You know what I mean? Like, this just started with James and Ben and all these guys doing this shit. It's bad for the league. End quote. So that set the the whole basketball NBA Twitter world on fire the other day. And again, I simply do not understand why the onus is on the players to behave a certain way under a contract when that same onus is not on the owners. For starters, just again, framing the whole topic. I get it. Star trades suck for the local fan base. Nobody wants to lose their guy. I'm not debating that, but it's never going away. Asking out and having one team as your destination and then doing all this stuff behind the scenes to manipulate things, yeah, it's not a good look. But it's kind of a fake problem because no one's ever been traded to a team and then, at least not in recent NBA history, there hasn't been a a guy, a star, who got traded to a team and then just didn't play. Kawhi Leonard said all the same shit behind the scenes. Not going there. Not not even going to report to training camp. You know what? He reported to training camp, and he won a damn NBA championship and a finals MVP. So, like, until that actually starts happening, I don't really see that as anything more than just Adrian Morjanowski tweets, right? And then again, James Harden showing up to camp way out of shape and deliberately bullshitting through games. Yeah, that's a big problem. There can be criticism that we offer here on a case-by-case basis when it comes to the way some of this is executed. But fundamentally, I have no problem with players signing a long-term deal and then asking out with multiple years left. Austin Rivers said, quote, if you were a free agent, you could choose where you want to go. End quote. In theory, that sounds great. But you have to do what's best for your family because the team is going to do what's best for the team. And I want to give you guys an example of this that I think kind of demonstrates the the uh, uh, that demonstrates the conundrum that this presents. Do you guys remember when D'Angelo Russell became a free agent? So D'Lo gets traded to uh, Brooklyn. I believe it was in the Brook Lopez deal. And he has a really good season, his final year there. Averages 21 points and seven, uh, seven assists a game. Looks pretty solid. Enters free agency, and he's kind of one of those guys that's worth either close to the max or like either the, like a rookie max extension or close to it, right? But the Warriors are losing KD to the Nets. And so Golden State sees an opportunity to salvage the KD asset. Because if it, KD goes to the Nets and they don't work something like this out, they lose him for nothing, right? So they see an opportunity, they work out a deal, they do a sign-in trade, right? D'Angelo Russell comes over to Golden State on a four-year deal in that trade. Do you guys think Golden State had any intention of keeping D'Angelo Russell for all four years of that deal? Do you think he was the player they actually wanted? Like, if they had cap space, do you think they signed D'Angelo Russell? No. They KD was going to the Nets. They functionally saw an opportunity to bring back a young player on a reasonable contract number that they knew they would be able to trade in the future. So guess what? D'Angelo Russell gets to be a warrior now. Super high-pressure situation. Not only does it not go well, they burn him to the ground on the way out. They basically call him unprofessional. Or not a good fit in the unprofessional is the wrong word. They say he's not a great fit there. 
and they offer a lot of subliminal criticism or, you know, reported criticism of what his time there was like. And in the process, they bring back Andrew Wiggins and two draft picks. So it was a really smart move from Golden State. They should have done that. Great asset management. They did what was best for the team, and it worked out. Now, D'Angelo Russell ended up going to a, a good situation for him, right? He went to go play with his buddy in Minnesota in Carl Anthony Towns. But that was just coincidence. Had Wiggins been playing for the Pistons, they would have shipped his ass to Detroit. Now, let's reverse that situation. Let's pretend the Warriors actually wanted to keep D'Angelo Russell. And instead, D'Angelo Russell, after 33 games, goes, I want to trade. Get me out of here. Would everyone have freaked out then? Is that a violation of the contract that he signed? Would we look at D'Angelo Russell as disloyal and say that what he's doing is bad for the league? Because that's literally just the reverse situation of what the Warriors did to him. It's a problematic uh, double standard in my opinion. The contract goes both ways. Technically, yeah, it's a commitment from that player to play for that team for a set number of years. But it's also a commitment from that team to pay that player for a certain number of years on that roster. Ideally, they'd be like, hey, I can buy a house here. I'm going to be here four years. But that's just not how it works. For some reason, the players are morally obligated to fulfill that contract, but the owners are not in return. So in my opinion, if you're a free agent and you're in the running for some sort of lucrative deal, you got to take as many years and as much money as possible. Because again, there is absolutely no guarantee that the team is going to fulfill their end of whatever, you know, agreement you think there is. Okay. Let's say I, I, I'm a free agent and I'm like, I know I want to play here another year or two, but I'm not certain if it's four or five. If I sign for one or two, I'm only just putting my money at risk. What if I tear my ACL? Hell, James Harden left money on the table to help Philly sign guys, and then he became a free agent, and then they didn't give him the number he wanted. You don't think he's like, why the hell did I give them that money back? Again, like, it, they will do it to you. So you have to look out for yourself. As much money, as much years as possible. Protect your family first. And then, yeah, behave professionally. Don't do the antics behind the scenes. Don't show up to camp fat and, and, and not caring and not trying. There's ugly sides to this, too. It's not perfect. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm just saying I, I'm sick and tired of the players, for some reason, having the responsibility of behaving with honor in these contract situations. Chris Paul just got traded to a team of players, and they all hate each other. Like, the Warriors hate Chris. Chris hates the Warriors. Hates Steve Kerr. Hate Draymond Green. Draymond Green's openly said, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say, you know, that Chris Paul and I don't have issues. They shipped him there because it was an achievable roster upgrade for the Warriors. Chris Paul had no voice in that situation. You, you think if Jordan Poole was a free agent, he's signing with Washington? If he had the pick of the litter, they decided he's going to Washington. So he gets to go to Washington. Uh, again, it, you have to look out for yourself as much as possible because the owners are going to ship you wherever it's best for them. Dane wants to go to Miami. 
Portland's look, looking for the best deal for them. You've got to look out for yourself. So, again, that's why I don't have any problem with stars signing a long-term deal and then after year one or after year two or with a couple years left on the deal requesting a trade. You are not obligated to sign for exactly how many years you're loyal when the team won't do the same for you. And then one last note on the Dame to Miami stuff. I've seen a lot of uh, Heat fans get annoyed with me because I've been talking about other destinations. I want Dame to go to Miami. I think it's great for the league. I love the Heat. I love Eric Spolstra. I love Jimmy Butler. I love Bam Adebayo. I want to see Dame there. I think that's a great fit. I think it adds a lot of parity in the Eastern Conference. Rooting for that deal. But it's just almost certainly going to happen. So we've already talked it to death. We'll do an even bigger breakdown when the trade goes down. But it's just more fun to talk about other options right now. And that's just more interesting. And it gives us something to do to kill the time until Portland inevitably sends him to Miami. That's why I was bringing up destinations like Oklahoma City and saying that other teams should get involved. It's just it's just what is most interesting about that situation. Dame is there for the taking. But if he goes to Miami, I'm going to be perfectly happy with that. All right. One last topic before we get to vacation stuff. Carson. You guys know it's Carson Bremer, uh, Breber from uh, Nerd Sesh. Has a video that goes out the other day. Calls Carmelo Anthony the most overrated NBA player ever. Quote, quote, unquote. He said again, quote, people elevate Melo into conversations he has no business being in. End quote. Very spicy stuff from Carson. Twitter goes absolutely crazy. It got viewed 1.3 million times. All the hoop purists were losing their minds and attacking Carson. It was a whole thing. Uh, so I think this is a super fun offseason topic. So we're going to hit the question, was Carmelo Anthony overrated? Now, to be clear, I got to defend Carson to start with because everyone's just calling him a nerd who only reads spreadsheets and doesn't watch the game. There are a lot of people in this business who don't watch a lot of basketball and then talk about it a lot. Carson's not one of those guys. Carson puts in a ton of work. He uses a lot of the same tools that I use in, term of fil- in terms of film software. And that dude watches as much basketball as anybody I know. I respect his basketball opinion a great deal. You guys know that because I had him on my show a bunch long before him and Logan ended up getting their show picked up by the volume. I'm a huge fan of Carson. I think he's great at his job and he certainly puts in the work. So if you disagree with his take, that's one thing. But let's not sit here and pretend like Carson hasn't earned the right to speak confidently with uh, with his basketball opinions. On that note, I very much disagree with Carson and his take on this one. Now, this was Carson's actual take. So he accurately pointed out that Melo has had some pretty rough field goal percentages over the years. He accurately pointed out that Melo was not a good defensive player. He accurately pointed out that Melo was not a very good playmaker. And he accurately pointed out that his teams were only slightly better with him on the floor versus off the floor over the majority of his career. So that was kind of like his breakdown, his nuts and bolts, his his actual substance to his argument. But there are two main points that I want to push back on. First of all, Melo's efficiency was actually a lot better than it looks on the surface. Yes, he was below 50% in effective field goal percentage in the Denver and New York seasons. That's kind of what I'm looking at as like real Melo before he kind of reinvented himself as a role player. But during those years, he got to the foul line a ton. So he actually had a true shooting percentage in New York and Denver of 54.4%. Now again, today, you want to be like 58% or better. 
But this was a different era. Which brings me to my second piece of pushback. All scorers were inefficient in that era. Because of the way the game was played. So it does not make sense to use efficiency as a barometer of how successful a scorer was during that era there in the late 2000s. First of all, every team had a slow-footed center and a big power forward on the floor. Most of them couldn't shoot. Like, think about, like, Pau Gasol and Andrew Bynum. You know, with, with Carmelo Anthony, it was Nene and, and Kenyon Martin. Or with the Cavs, like, Ilgowskis and Gooden. Yeah, they could knock down the occasional jump shot. But the floor was absolutely packed around the paint. In general, teams had way less shooting on the floor. It was super clogged up. Guys were constantly facing multiple defenders. And everyone's percentages suffered as a result. Go look at offensive, re- uh, offensive ratings from that era in the late 2000s. It was the same type of points per possession that you saw in the mid-90s. Nobody was scoring easily. So having a guy that could take and make tough pull-up jump shots over the top of congested defenses was actually super valuable back then. Even when, even when guys were missing two-thirds of them. It was still really valuable. That was how you ended a lot of possessions. Rescue possessions. And it became extremely valuable at the end of games. The example I want to use to make this the, to make this point is Kobe. Kobe also shot over 50% in effective field goal percentage just four seasons in his entire career. He missed a ton of shots. As we look at his primary stretch, like Melo, I look Denver, New York. For Kobe, it's basically with the Lakers until he tore his Achilles. He had a 55.5% true shooting percentage with the Lakers before he tore his Achilles. That's 1% better than Melo. 1%. So, like, same type of issues applied to Kobe. Now, he faced the same type of issues. Terrible spacing. Ugly offense. Had to take a ton of bailout shots. His percentages suffered as a result. We are spoiled on efficiency these days. You might have one non-shooter on the floor. A lot of times, you have no non-shooters on the floor. We run super modern offensive concepts with spread, pick, and roll with shooters perfectly spaced in the corner on the weak side wing. We know how to space the floor. Offenses were super chaotic or archaic back then. They just nonstop fed the post. There was no pick and roll. This is a great example. Kobe in 2009 ran eight pick and rolls a game with terrible spacing. Devin Booker, who's like the same type of archetype of player as Kobe, literally tries to copy Kobe. He ran more than 18 pick and rolls a game this year with a perfectly spaced floor. Completely surrounded by shooting. And so, of course, the percentages are better now. Devin Booker, 60% true shooting this uh, this year. Do you think he's 5% better than Kobe? Or do you think it's a different era? That That's why, like, I don't actually think it makes a lot of sense to use efficiency across eras. You can use it within the era. Like, that was kind of the cool thing with LeBron. is like his ability to pressure the rim allowed him to be really efficient relative to his peers in that era. As we look today, like comparing Steph Curry to all the guys that are around 58% true shooting, he's in the mid-60s. Like, yeah, that, that, that goes to show you in this era how Steph is so much more efficient than most of his peers. But it just doesn't make sense to use that when we're evaluating across eras. 
So, like, Melo really was nearly as efficient, only slightly less efficient and slightly less volume scoring than Kobe Bryant. He was unquestionably a top-tier scorer in his era. Now, in fairness, I am a huge Melo fan. I wore his number in college, number 15. Did a lot of stuff to kind of copy his game, especially in face-up situations. But like, so I'm a little biased, not going to lie. But I do think, especially when we're staring at scoring, I, I think that Melo is is every bit worth the reputation that he has in NBA history. Now, here's where I agree with Carson. Yes, Melo was close to Kobe's level as a scorer, but Kobe was a much, much better and a much, much more successful basketball player in the NBA. Why is that? This is where Carson's legitimate criticisms of his defense and his playmaking come to the surface. Carmelo Anthony was a bad defensive player who consistently cut corners on that end of the floor. Kobe Bryant made the all-defense team 12 times, including nine times first-team all-defense. And he was consistently one of his team's best defenders. It trickled down the roster, and he led some of the great defensive teams of that decade, which is why he won championships. Carmelo Anthony averaged 2.7 assists per game in his career and really struggled to impact games when his shot wasn't falling. Kobe Bryant averaged double that with roughly the same amount of turnovers. And despite his reputation of being a ball hog, he actually was a really good playmaker when his team needed him to be. And he consistently impacted games, even when his shot wasn't falling. Everyone talks about the 6-for-24 game in Game 7 of the 2010 NBA Finals. Kobe played his ass off that game and made a lot of plays. It's not all about the shooting percentages as long as you have stuff that supports your game around that. So as much as I love and respect Carmelo Anthony as a player, and I view him as one of the best scorers of all time, his weaknesses are a big part of why he didn't achieve as much as you might have thought he should have, given how good he was as a scorer. And those are fair criticisms to bring up when we talk about him. I just think his reputation as a scorer is well-deserved. And using shooting percentages to undercut that is something I disagree with Carson about. Um, as for the overrated piece, I think he's pretty properly rated. I mean, everybody that I talk to seems to think that there's kind of a gap between LeBron and Wade and then from that draft class and then kind of a gap between Wade and Melo. Like, he's clearly on the third tier from that draft. I don't hear Melo's name being brought up in all-time conversations anywhere near the top guys. So, yeah, there are... The, there's that ball don't stop type of crew that kind of romanticizes him because of his skill set. But like, so I guess you could say slightly overrated, but I do, I do disagree with Carson's take that he's the most overrated NBA player ever. I think that that's overstating it more than a little bit. So love Carson, but had to, had to push back a little bit on that particular take and check out the nerd test show. Those guys are awesome. They do really good work and they hit a lot more stuff in the weeds than I do. All right, before we get out of here, uh, some quick notes on my vacation. So, again, we went to San Francisco for like five days, uh, and then we went to Japan for like a week. I uh, went to wine country, uh, the, you know, mainly in the Sonoma area. It was really cool. It's hot, but it was dry, so it was more palatable, easy to handle. The wine was really good, but super expensive. I can't like I don't know how people <laughs> regularly drink wine from those areas. I, we did a tasting at one place that was like 92 bucks a person, and I was like, ah, this is <laughs> this is. This is ridiculous. I, I probably wouldn't pay that much for, for wine ever again. But it was it was a, a cool experience. It was kind of a bucket list thing, right? Especially for my wife. 
Um, and that whole area is very pretty, and I see why a lot of people live there. San Francisco was a blast. The food was incredible. I went to Chinatown and had a restaurant called House of Nanking, which was the best Chinese food I ever had. So highly recommend that while you're down there. Had a sushi place called Ace Wasabi, which was really, really good sushi. That was kind of in the um, northern part of the peninsula there. And then I got to see two great concerts on a whim. We had a, a Saturday night free, and I happened to see an Instagram – or my buddy, Sean, happened to see an Instagram post about uh, – about Charles Wesley Godwin playing there. And he's actually my favorite country singer right now. I'm actually going to see him next month with Zach Bryan, who's another one of my favorites uh, up in Phoenix. But like we just saw him, we're like, it's at this really cool theater in the city. It was a pretty late showtime, so it wasn't going to affect our play, uh, our uh, t- uh, plans the rest of the trip. So we went to see Charles Wesley Godwin. And there's a guy there opening for him named Wyatt Flores, who's actually an up-and-coming guy who actually I really enjoyed as well. And then on Sunday night, I went to the final show of the final tour for Dead & Company at Oracle Park. Sat up in the bleachers, was overlooking the bay. They did a drone show. They played most of my favorite songs. I heard Althea is my favorite song, The, the Dead Play. I heard uh, my favorite rendition of that they've ever played. Uh, Franklin's Tower kind of stole the show. It was it was just an incredible show. That was a, a great experience. That was kind of what the whole trip was built around. I'm so glad I did that. Um, and then lastly, I drove down to Palo Alto and got a tour of the Stanford campus. A buddy of mine, Sam Beskin, who used to play there, uh, hooked us up, gave us a, an incredible tour Got a good basketball workout in with him as well. Got to see the facilities. That campus is beautiful. That was kind of a bucket list thing for me as well. So I got to see Stanford. That was fun. Then we literally flew home on Monday. Got in about noon. Had to turn all of our stuff over. And we left at 6 a.m. the next morning to go to Japan. So it was a ridiculous turnaround. It just kind of was the way it worked out. Where the way the Japan trip was booked. And then having to go to that concert on that Sunday. And building the trip backwards. It was just kind of the way it, it turned out. But... Um, Japan was cool. I, I really liked the food. I struggled with the traditional Japanese stuff and I had more of that than I probably should have. A lot of like really bizarre fish and like tofu and stuff that I, that I really struggled with, but I had a Japanese barbecue place that was to die for. They put the grill right in the middle of the table and they just bring you raw meat and you like just straight up grill it on the table in front of you. So that was really cool. That was a uh, great food, great experience. And then I had a conveyor belt sushi place, which was unbelievable. So they had like these two conveyor belts, you know, like a touch screen and you like walk in and sit and like you pick your sushi rolls and you place your order and like really quick in a matter of two or three minutes, it just appears in front of you on the conveyor, conveyor belt. Grab the fish off, hit the the end button, and then the, the the belt continues so they can load the next meal on there. But I had like 13 plates of sashimi or uh, salmon, uh, salmon and tuna nigiri. Their tuna was like the best I've ever had. Super inexpensive there too. Like having a two-piece uh, tuna nigiri was like a dollar after you converted it from yen, which in the States, that's like six or seven bucks at a reasonable place and like 10, 12 bucks at an expensive sushi place. So that was a really cool experience. I got to see a Japanese baseball game. It's unbelievable. It was game 82 of a 143 game season. And the stadium was completely packed. They had all these chants and stuff going. I, I saw the Hanshin Tigers uh, play against Tokyo. Um, uh, I think they were called the Swallows. And I think the Tigers were actually the team that Shohei Otani played, uh, played for. So they had a huge fan base. They had these crazy chants that they did. I actually tweeted a video of it out on my feed. You can see that there. Really good game, too. It was just a, a, a shockingly awesome experience for what was, you know, kind of similar to the types of games you see in Major League Baseball and have two-thirds of the stadium empty. You know what I mean? Um so I got on the Tokyo Skytree, which is the third tallest building in the world. And I got to take some pictures and see the city from up there. 
The I took the bullet train for the first time ever. That was a really cool experience. Just in general, I'm so impressed by how efficient J- Japan is. Like they have about a third of the population or a third of the uh, a population of the United States, but they're about one twenty fifth the size. And so, in order to make all that work, you have to be remarkably efficient. And just the way that they get around is just incredibly impressive. And then they also keep the country super clean during the process. Super super impressed by that. Um, bar hopping was really cool down there. It's all, it's all these like little tiny bars that are like the size of this studio. And it'll just be like one bartender and like four chairs and maybe one cocktail table. And there's just rows of them, just hundreds of them all over the place. That was a cool experience. I got to see the Fender flagship store. They just built it. It opened on like June 30th. That was a really cool experience. They have a bunch of guitars that they actually only make and sell in Tokyo. Came this close to buying one, but ended up passing on it at the last second. The only thing I'd say is that was the wrong time of year to go. It was hot as hell. It was like 97 degrees every single day. Super, super humid. I definitely sweat my ass off, so I probably wouldn't go back at this time of year again. And then also as a result of that like heat and humidity, Mount Fuji was just constantly covered in clouds. And I'm a big volcano guy, so like I really wanted to see Mount Fuji. Had like six opportunities to see it, and it was just constantly hidden. So that was kind of a bummer. Uh, but Japan was cool. It was kind of a, a, a once-in-a-lifetime type of experience. Recommend everybody try it at least once. Uh, a really cool country to visit. But that was way too long to be out of town. I'm exhausted. I'm jet lagged. Uh, I I miss my dogs. I miss my routine. I played basketball once in 16 days. You know how that affects my mental health. So I got to I got to be better. This is back to back years where I did two week trips. So I got to be better about spacing my trips out a little bit. But I'm glad I'm glad to be back, guys. I'm glad to be talking basketball. Uh, again, tomorrow we're going to be doing our top five off seasons, and then we'll get into our player rankings next week. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort, journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com.